Welcome, adventurers. Let us now return to an attempted theft in progress in the bed of a covered wagon. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon The three sacks of rocks were placed in a now-empty chest, and the lid was shut. Not an exact match on weight, but it would be close enough to fool anyone until the chest was opened again. Snare picked up the lock and looked at it. What a magnificent piece. He replaced it with great remorse. What he wouldn't have given to keep it and study it. But the deception must remain. Chest now secured, he adjusted the bag back under his cloak and crawled quietly to the part of the cover he had loosened. He lifted it but a crack. Outside the light was beginning to fade, but it would not be dark for another bell or more. It had been Betta's job to make sure the caravan had left late, and left late it had. Though it was still a bell until dark, it was over two until the next stop. He could try to run now, but with a light and no distraction, as was the original plan, he didn't like his odds. No, he would risk the wait for dark and try to slip out before the wagon stopped for the evening. Snare made his way back into the wagon, finding a place to lay and pass the time. Nervous and impatient, he checked twice more before judging it dark enough to make his move. First the canvas was lifted a crack again. Then his head was poked out, looking behind and then ahead. Luck was with him. One guard on this side must have just passed and was moving up near the front of the second wagon. Pushing out from under the cover, Snare swung out, clinging to the top of the sideboard. One more look up and down. Time to go. He dropped off the wagon. It was less than two feet to the ground, and the wagon was moving slowly. But Cinder, it seemed, was not done with her mischief. Instead of landing cleanly, his front foot landed on a hardened dirt clod. He lost his footing and fell. He tried to catch himself, but it was awkward, and he sprawled face down. Panic tried to well up. His animal brain told him to stand and bolt. But his mind overruled him. It came to him in Ford Beer's voice. Too late to run. You'll draw notice. Lie still and hope they pass. He lay still, breath held. Not that his breath could be heard over the wagons. His body burned, every instinct telling him to run. The second to the last wagon passed. What if the rear guard trampled him where he lay? The last wagon pulled alongside and then passed as well. Twelve beats, and then the clop of hooves. They were nearly on him. A hoof fell, and he felt it tug on his sprawled-out cloak. The horse's foot had missed by less than three hands' widths, and then it was past. He waited five beats, and then a whistle from ahead. Snare lifted his head. He had to see what the whistle was. 
The rear guard was trotting ahead to pull alongside the driver of the last wagon. They talked a moment or two, and then he saw the driver point back. The guard turned their head. Snare cursed. Mercy, Cinder, he thought. I bow to your cunning. As the guard reined the horse in to turn, he had no choice. He stood and made for the woods. He nearly fell after his first step. He had rolled his ankle in his awkward landing. Biting down as the pain flared, he caught his balance and hobbled as fast as he could. A voice called. Hey, who are you? And then, when he didn't respond, yaw, and the horse began to gallop. Snare was past the first line of trees, but the underbrush was sparse, not enough to stop a horse from entering, as he had hoped. Thoughts of losing the guard faded. He was doomed. The horse hooves approached quickly, echoing among the trees. Snare stumbled forward, and less than ten paces from the edge of the road squatted at the base of a tree, pulling his cloak over himself. It wasn't much, but he had nothing else. Come out, and the footfall of hooves entering the forest. They clopped almost directly to where he was. Get up, came the guard's voice. Oh, for Gorion's sake, you're about as hidden as a nose on a face. Get up. Snare didn't move. It felt pointless. The guard could come down and get him. The sound of feet touching down beside the horse. Three steps toward him and then a rush of feet and a meaty thunk, followed by a whomph of a collapsed body. Unbelieving, Snare peeked slowly from under his cloak. The guard laid face down less than a foot away. What the? Seriously, it's the worst job of hiding I've ever seen, Jobin growled. Did we get what we was looking for? Snare stood, dumbfounded but nodded. Great. Now wipe that stupor off your face. Now let's go. Not waiting for him to move, Jobin grabbed Snare and threw him atop the guard's horse as if he were a sack of potatoes, climbing up as well, and then kicking the horse into a trot. <laughs> Nebrimim snorted and made to move forward. Ortval reined him in, keeping his horse in place. His mount was getting irritated. They had been on the road the better part of a day, and Sol's light was fading from the sky. Ahead, the first lantern lights could be seen, sparking to life in windows and alongside doors. Nebramim knew food, the removal of a saddle, and a warm barn light just ahead. But for some reason, they sat in the road still. In the saddle, Orteval stared at the sign. Welcome to Ubato. We have twice the rock and half the people. It was a wood sign, a big sign. To Orteval, it may as well have been cursed, casting an invisible wall across the road, filling him with an existential unease. He let out a long sigh and finally looked away casting his vision up above the forest canopy north of the road. There, rising another forty paces above the trees, was the massive formation of rocks known to the town folk as the Ubas. In full light they were a beautiful grayish-white, streaked with black in areas, 
In Soul's setting, they took on hues of oranges and purples. For the first time since leaving Jamatil, a smile passed over Orteval's face. He had spent hours and hours in the Ubas as a child, exploring, learning to climb, pretending he was anywhere but here. Orteval rolled his shoulder, which had never quite set right. Two broken arms, a broken collarbone, several cracked ribs, and countless bruises, scrapes, and contusions he had suffered during his adventures there. And despite all that, his parents always let him go back, always let him push his boundaries. He closed his eyes and breathed in, the smell of forest and dinners beginning to be imagined. To one side, a large wagon rolled by and under the sign. Orteval sighed again as he opened his eyes and let Nebrimim follow the wagon in. No magical barrier, just the odd sensation of returning home. Nebrimim tied to the hitching post out front, Orteval removed his saddlebags and slung them over one shoulder. The building before him bustled with life. A sprawling, stacked log structure that had been added on to several times so that it sat at odd angles and irregular heights. When the front door swung open for a dwarf and two elves to step out, the din of laughter and conversation, the clank and clatter of plates, spilled out the door with them. Above the door was another sign, much smaller, which simply said, Dumag and Dagnus. It was the best diner in town. It would have been the best diner in many towns. Orteval had tried to tell his parents that if they had opened this place in Jamato, they would be rich at the very least, if not famous. Who wants to be famous? His mother had said, followed by her thunderous laughter. She loved the diner, loved talking to the many merchants and travelers that passed through, and she loved his father. His father loved to cook, loved to sit on the front porch when it wasn't too busy, smoking a pipe and watching the wagons roll through town, and also loved his mother. Orteval never understood, but he knew this town was more than enough for his parents, provided them with everything they ever wanted. He often wished he could find that level of acceptance, that simple peace, but it seemed it was not for him. Up the step and onto the porch, a pause to look at the sign, and then reach up to touch the name Dagnu, his mother's name. Resilia, watch over her. And then he went in. From outside, what had sounded like a babbling brook became a roar of river rapids. Gentle laughter became uproarious, the conversations loud, each table trying to talk louder than the one next to it so they could be heard. Along with the increased volume came the mouth-watering smell of his father's cooking, roasting meats with delicate spice rubs, the buttery smell of biscuits, his mother's recipe. He caught a whiff of cinnamon, sweet potato mash. In all his discomfort, in all his want to leave, in all his time away, this was the one thing he missed above all else, his father's cooking. Orteval looked about. All but two of the forty tables were full. Servers moved about with purpose, taking orders and delivering meals. 
a young dwarven man that he had not seen before, came up to him. Is it just yourself for dinner? The words barely registered. Ortoval's gaze went over the dwarf and into the open kitchen. In front of a massive stove managing a large pot, two smaller ones, plus three skillets, all with a dancer's grace, was an orc. Short black hair was sprinkled with gray and white. Almost sixty, the muscled arms handled his utensils with ease. In contrast to the strong arms, a round belly, which began to appear some ten years prior, seemed to be gaining territory, straining the food-stained apron he wore. The orc hummed to himself as he cooked. Over all the noise, even with his bad ear, Orteval could still separate that hum. The hum that had been part of his life since he could first remember. The young dwarf looked at him with concern. Sir? He asked louder this time. The question caught the orc's attention, who turned to see what was going on. The humming stopped as a wide grin split the cook's face, a tear forming in the dark eyes. Favor, the orc yelled. Come take over the stove for a minute. A short, skinny human came from a door behind the kitchen, nodded to the orc, and took over, tasting, stirring, and spicing, with no other words. The orc came to stand before Orteval, wiping hands on the apron. He seemed hesitant at first, after a few beats without anything. Orteval gave a smile and said, Smells good. Got anything for a traveler who's been on the road for a few days? Dad. A tear rolled out of the orc's eye, and as soon as Orteval finished talking, he wrapped him up in a crushing hug, holding on until Orteval said quietly, I can't breathe, Pops. Dumog, his father, released the hug, holding on to his arms still, then moving one hand to his shoulder, then to his cheek and finally a rumble of laughter. Come, my son, I'll feed you until you can't walk no more, so you can give those rambling feet a rest. His dad turned, wrapping his arm around Orteval's shoulders. Come, come, I have a new spicy dipping sauce for the chicken I want you to try. His father's threat to feed him until he couldn't move turned out to be nearly accurate. As plate after plate came to the booth where they sat, they caught up. Orteval's recounting of life at the temple was brief. Pretty much the same most days, he said. His father, on the other hand, went on about the new server he had hired and the need to start training another cook. How it was getting harder to find good pork for a reasonable price and that the price of spices was getting ridiculous. Orteval did his best to act interested, not wanting to offend his father on his first night home. But the more his father went on about the business, the more Orteval believed his initial thoughts about there being no real threat to the town had been correct. When a shortcake with cream and fresh-picked blackberries was set before him, and the conversation had come to a pause, Orteval asked, Pops, what about the letter you sent? What of these thugs? In response, Dumag had waved his hands frantically for Orteval to keep his voice down and as he shoveled the first bite of dessert into his mouth, his father leaned in and began to whisper.
the ride back to the cabin had been uncomfortable to say the least. Jobin never stopped to let Snare sit upright, even though they escaped with little pursuit. And so he bounced on his belly for over three bells. Upon reaching the cabin, the remainder of the gang came quickly out, surrounding them even before he could climb awkwardly down. Snare looked about. It wasn't subtle. The remaining four members had hands on weapons. Betta went as far as to clean her nails with a dagger while staring at him. Trust amongst criminals and thieves was not handed out freely. And this being their first job working together, no one seemed happy it did not go as planned. Jobin had handed the reins of the stolen horse off and then stared down at him. Well, Snare looked into each of their eyes in turn, finishing with Jobin. They would just as soon kill him as call him a colleague. Snare pulled out the bag from under his cloak and patted it, jerking his head toward the cabin. Betta went to the door and opened it, and the rest followed, keeping Snare between them. Inside, the mood changed quickly as Snare, without stopping, walked toward the grimy table in the room, stepped up onto a chair, and then turned the bag over. Gold coin rained out of the bag, piling up, bouncing and spilling off the table. Betta's eyes went wide, and then a sleepy smile curled on her lips. The others jumped and yelled. Jobin's face pulled into a sneer that Snare was pretty sure was what passed for a smile on the man's face. When the shower of coin had stopped, Snare righted the bag, and then, with a look of concentration, reached into the bag once, then again, each time pulling out a large bottle, one filled with clear liquid, the other a dark brown. He set the bottles atop the pile of gold, and then, looking around the room, bared his teeth in his particular version of a smile. A pause, and then the cheers redoubled. Snare was lifted on shoulders and bounced in a ridiculous parade around the dingy cabin. Even Jobin left. It looks as though Snare may have found a band of like-minded individuals. For Ortoval, will the reason he returned home pan out to be anything more than gossip? Join me next time for part three of Restless Spirit. Hey, people. It's a bonus thank you right in the middle of an episode. <laughs> Uh, it's actually also a, a beg your mercy. Uh, coming up is actually going to be a one-week break in the middle of this tale. Uh, the reason being it is Thanksgiving and my birthday is in this general area. So just taking a little pause to take some time off. Uh, hope you will understand and have patience. But there are two more episodes coming up in this particular story. And I hope you stick with me and hear what becomes of Ortoval and Snare in this tale. Thank you so very much for listening, and we'll be back just after one week. You guys mean the world. Take care.